0: Welcome to our ICJ Bible teaching webinar today, Passover and the cross is our theme today. Uh, We have many people joining us from all around the world and we are so grateful and so happy that you all can join us on this special teaching. We have a very special speaker that is joining us today. First, let me update you a little bit what is happening this week and also next week because we are two days away from Pesach where Israel and the Jewish people will be celebrating the biblical feast of Passover, where they remember their freedom from slavery in um, Egypt. And this is really a big deal. Those that are living in Israel will know they are cleaning their houses, One of the rules are they have to take all the leaven out of their houses, they have to burn it, literally go through every corner of the house. So they are in big preparations now in Israel for this festival. And we at the ITJ have been very busy um, giving out food parcels to the needy elderly and needy Holocaust survivors so they can also celebrate this um, wonderful celebration of Pesach in um, dignity. And if you wanna be part of this wonderful project to show your support and your love to the Jewish people in Israel, then please join us in this project. Go to our website, icj.org, and you can give a special love gift towards this project to show your blessing and your love to Israel. But while we were busy blessing Israel with his food parcels, we have also been very busy preparing a very beautiful um, five teaching series called The Passion Week for you next week. And please join us for this five teaching series. It's going to be on our ICJ YouTube channel. You don't want to miss this. Um, It's going to start on um, Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. And we're going to be following in the footsteps of Jesus the whole week. And um, we believe this is going to be a real blessing for you. It's going to come from Israel on site Um, And this is called the Passion Week. It's a very special five-part video teaching series produced by the ICJ for you. And we're going to take this journey from Palm Sunday through to the Resurrection Sunday. And uh, please check our website, icj.org or our YouTube channel. And I'm sure this is going to be a wonderful blessing for you following next week us um, with this um, special teaching. From Israel, from the sites where it all happened. So again, you know, please follow us on iCJ.org or on Facebook for the special teaching series. But let us get back to our um purpose of today, and this is our Bible teaching called Passover and the Cross. And um, if you have any questions, please just write them down in the chat section for us. And if time permits, we will try to go through some of these um, questions that you have. But let me introduce our speaker today. Um, Many of you know him well. Um, It is Malcolm Heading. And for those that don't know him that have joined us for the first time, he is the former ICJ executive director. He's also an active ICJ board member of the headquarters. He's been um, speaking on behalf of the ICJ all around the world for decades, and he's really an expert in the Bible and uh, ICJ and um, Israel theology. And he's just returned back to live in um, Israel, and he's also representing Malcolm Heading Ministry. So just a very um, warm welcome to you, Malcolm. It's great seeing you again, Um we are good friends, and I'm looking forward to this teaching. It's going to be great and good fun, and so much welcome and welcome. Let me turn it over to you, and I'll let you preach it away.
1: Well, thank you so much, David, and thank you for that warm welcome. It's good to be with you today, and again, once to share together in this special time of Passover and. I'd like to add my greetings to all those who are listening or viewing this webinar today. I pray that the Lord God of heaven will bless you as we share from the word of God on such a wonderful theme, the Passover and the cross of Jesus. What a wonderful theme. And uh, it's really a privilege for me uh, to do this today because this is the heart of the word of God. We're dealing with the centerpiece of the Bible, and what a wonderful joy it is to do that at this time of the year. The Passover is celebrated in Israel, and uh, they will go through what they call the Haggadah. The Haggadah is the sort of liturgy or the telling of the story, but it comes from the the Greek word, which uh, the Hebrew word, which is Telgid which means to tell. In other words, it has this idea that this story needs to be told again and again and again, and we should never forget it. So this is what we're doing today. We, we're going to tell, we're going to fulfill the Hebrew uh, exhortation uh, to tell the story. And I hope it'll be a blessing to you. I'd like to just mention two verses from the Bible. As we begin in the first exodus, exodus chapter 12 and verse 13. And we read this in the word of God. And it says, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then another verse from the New Testament scriptures uh, that takes us back to the Passover directly. And it's John, when he was down at the River Jordan, uh, near to the Dead Sea, baptizing people who came out of Judea and Jerusalem and all around. And Jesus arrived. And we are told that John said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So here again, he makes a direct reference to the Passover story. I want to go through our teaching today with three points, and they come out of this remarkable narrative concerning the exodus of the people of Israel from Egypt by Passover. And my first point is the judgment of false gods, the judgment of false gods. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12, we read, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And we tend to forget that Passover is a demonstration of the reality of the one true God. And the Passover story reminds us that there is only one God. And he is a redemptive God. He reveals himself in Passover as the only one and as one who is prepared to redeem his people. It's the story of the one God who came down from heaven to reveal himself. And in so doing, he struck every false God in Egypt with his plagues, he took them down completely. And then he delivered his people. What a wonderful story that is. And what a wonderful confirmation uh, that there is only one God. And it's this revelation that has changed the world. It's this revelation actually that civilized the world. It's this revelation of monotheism that indeed was incredible and we need to listen to it the bible says in um, Deuteronomy 11:16 uh, in the sight of this very story it says the following take heed to yourselves lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them and that's part of the Passover story And even for us who are Christians, it's important for us to remember that anything can supplant God in our lives. Anything can deceitfully, as it were, creep into our lives and our hearts and supplant the place that God, by Jesus Christ, should have in my life and your life. And if there's any first message that comes to us from the Passover story and the cross. It's this, that we need to examine our hearts at this time. We need to be careful and we need to be sure that there's only one God who fills our lives and uh, is the object of our worship, the object of our service, service, and the object of our dedication. It's a time for us to take stock of our lives and to make sure that nothing has a greater place in our hearts and lives than Jesus Christ. And that's important. And that's the first thing that God did in this Passover season. He states it himself that he struck down the false gods of Egypt and of the world. He is the Lord, our God. And that then brings me to my second point. First of all, the judgment Of false gods then that takes us to the second point in our Passover meditation today and that is the judgment of the individual the judgment of the individual that includes you and me and that's why we need to tell the story and uh, that's why it is so vitally important that we meditate on these things today The Bible tells us that both the Jews and the Egyptians in Egypt were subject to death as the angel of death passed over Egypt on that first Seder night, that first night when the Israelites gathered in their homes to celebrate and to eat and to be ready to leave Egypt. And the story says that the angel of death without respect of persons, whether they were Egyptian, whether they were Israelites, it didn't make a difference. It was the only plague that no longer made a difference between Israel and the Egyptians. All the other plagues took down the gods of Egypt. And if you read the story, the Bible says that in this way, God will make a difference between his people And the people of Egypt, but when it came to the judgment of the individual and the 10th plague, this applied to everyone and that includes you and that includes me. So this reminds us that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And sometimes I think we don't appreciate the depth of our human wretchedness. You know, I think sometimes we think that we're quite good, even though we acknowledge that we're sinners. We we don't think we're that bad. We don't think really that we are as wicked as the Bible tells us. But you know, the Bible says that there is none good, not even one. Bible says we are wretched and we are wicked because all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. We have indeed marred the image of God. We've been overtaken by selfishness and we are wicked people. We must never forget that because if we don't understand that, we'll never understand the greatness of God's love in delivering us and the price that it took for him to do it. So that's the first thing that we are reminded of by this judgment that befell everyone, whether you were Jew or whether you were Egyptian. It also reminds us of what we call the holy love of God. And here you need to listen to me very carefully. It reminds us of the holy love of God. The truth of the Bible is this, that his wrath and his anger is in fact set against us. The same God that declares that he loves us is in fact the same God that will cast us away from his presence in hell for all eternity. We should not forget that. The same God that says he loves the world is also ready to take you and me if we do not turn and learn the message of Passover and he will cast us in hell because of his holy love And that's important for us to understand. We all know John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But how many people know John chapter 3 and verse 36? I think not many. In fact, they couldn't quote it offhand if I asked them. But this is what John chapter 3 says. And verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's the love of God. And we understand that as the holy love of God that cannot entertain our uncovered or passed over sin. So we need to understand that. We're dealing with a God who is holy in every way. And that holiness is an expression, even in its anger, of his love. Also, the fact that Jews and Egyptians were subject to the same penalty, on the Passover night, the penalty of death, means that it is a reminder of the atoning love of God in Christ's death on the cross that is the only way for us to really experience in fullness and abundance and joy the love that God has for us. It is only the atoning love of God demonstrated so marvelously in Jesus' death on the cross that enables us to really know personally and really the marvelous love of God. And more important, to be set free from the wrath of God The power of sin, the awesome wickedness of death, and the devil in our lives, this atoning love of God that is mirrored so wonderfully in Passover is the only way for us to become free. According to the Passover story, you see, sin and death that gets such a hold on our lives, such a terrible hold on our lives. It is so deeply ingrained in our hearts. It's like leaven. It's like leaven. You know, leaven sort of goes through everything. You get the small piece of dough with leaven in it, you know, looks so small and then you leave it for a while, and you don't know how, but this thing suddenly becomes this big piece of bread because the leaven has sort of raised it up, penetrated every part of it, and changed it. It's a picture of sin. That's why the Bible calls Passover the feast of unleavened bread. Leaven is a picture of sin and it needs to be removed from our lives. And that's why at this time of the year, the last few days in Israel, the people are frantically cleaning their homes, meticulously going through their kitchen, sometimes even with a small toothbrush to make sure there's no leaven anywhere. And that's the type of commitment we have to have to Jesus, you know. That we, we don't want leaven in our lives. We've been passed over by the grace of God, and we've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. And, and we should take stock of our lives and think about the leaven you know even in christians they entertain leaven and it grows in their hearts and lives grows in my life it grows in your life it can take you down as a christian and many christians have failed take them down it's time for us to sweep our lives clean of leaven at this time that's the message of Passover. you know paul said that paul used this very theme And he exhorted the people of God to get rid of the leaven in their lives. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Therefore, he says, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Speaking in the past tense, if Jesus has come into your life and God has passed over your life and freed you and freed me from the consequences of our sins, then he tells us that we need to be a people, as much as it is in our power, to repent of sin and to make sure that our lives are clean. We need to be without leaven. And uh, that's important. You know, it was at Passover that uh, Jesus instituted communion, or what we call the breaking of bread. And uh, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about the Passover celebration at which Jesus inaugurated the New Testament. And he says that in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, eat of this in remembrance of me. That's the Afakoman, which is part of the Passover Haggadah, part of the tagid, the telling of the story. And then he took the cup and he blessed it and said, this is the cup of the new covenant ratified by my blood for the forgiveness of your sins, the removal of leaven, drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink of this bread, uh, if you drink from this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, we often leave it out, let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For he who eats and drinks unworthily will will eat and drink judgment to himself. Then he makes this statement. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick and some sleep, meaning they've died prematurely. Why? Because they never really took stock of their lives. There will be no leaven. Make sure as much as it lies within your ability to repent of sin and to have a pure heart. Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So our deliverance, according to the Passover story, you see, is because of the spilt blood of a lamb. And we are told in the first narrative of Exodus 12, that having killed the lamb, they had to take the blood, and they had to put the blood on the doorposts of their homes and on the lintel, the crossbeam of their door. In other words, you have here a picture of the cross. It made a cross the doorposts on either side and the lintel. It formed a cross. And when the blood of the lamb, symbolizing a cross, was seen by the angel of death, sent from heaven, he never went into that home. He passed over. Hence the word Passover. And the people there were free. But you know, the interesting story is that they didn't simply put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels of their homes, but they then roasted the lamb and they ate it. In other words, they had to feed their lives on Jesus. They had to feed their lives on the lamb. Passover and the cross. We don't simply find ourselves delivered from the consequences of our sins, that we find ourselves transformed by having Christ in us. The lamb had to get inside them so that they could be delivered externally and internally. And that's the story of the cross that God forgives us of our sins and he does not impute our sins to us. At the same thing and at the same time, he fills our lives with Jesus, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we are literally transformed because we have fed upon Jesus, nourished by his life, nourished by what he did for us on the cross. And that's a wonderful thing. I mean, absolutely wonderful. And what an incredible picture in the first Passover story we have of Jesus and his work. You know, the Lamb of God on that first satanite was a substitutionary sacrifice. One dying in the place of another. And you know, the fascinating thing is that the Bible says that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, it wasn't just the Israelites that came out. Actually, there were Egyptians, other nations. The Bible says that. So the story got out. You see, they began to sort of evangelize. They believed it. And they told even their Egyptian friends, listen, you can be saved. You can join us. There is an angel of death coming into your home. that you can join us and you too will come out with us and you too will feed on Jesus and you too leave Egypt, a symbol of bondage and terror. So the Bible says that a mixed multitude joined with them and came out Of Egypt with them. It is a remarkable story and it's one that teaches us that a lamb died in our place. So in Exodus 12, again our major passage, it makes this statement in verse 7, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of their houses where they eat. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. They will feed on Jesus, on the very lamb that died for them. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, you know, And verse 18, we find this marvelous statement about Jesus. Listen to this. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He became Alive from the dead, he was resurrected and he fills our lives. We feast upon him and he transforms us a substitutionary death for you and for me. That, my friends, is amazing. As I said at the beginning. We sometimes think that we're not that bad. But a beautiful lamb had to be executed in our place and die so that we could live. So that we could experience the love of God in its fullness and abundance for all eternity. The atoning love of God made a way for each and and every one of us. You know, let me tell you, I sometimes hear preachers, and I've seen this often, I've heard it often, you have to. They will say from the pulpit, you know, God loves you. He loves you. He just hates your sin. Is that true? Is that true? The answer is no. it's not true because it gives the idea that there's nothing really wrong with me you know that i have this sort of outcrop on my body you know like a wart or some type of disfigurement on my body and i just need to have that removed but me actually i'm quite good the bible says in second corinthians chapter 5 that Jesus became sin for us. He became everything that we that we were. Now, my friends, the holy love of God is against you. Against you. And if I don't find my way to the atoning love of God, That holy love of God won't treat my sin as some type of growth on my body. He'll send me to a lost eternity. And the Passover story tells us that that whole lamb was consumed. in fire for you and me. Not an outcrop on Jesus' life, but he became sin. For me, how I thank God for that today. Everything that I was, everything that I deserved on that Passover night Jesus died for me and took it away. And that's why, you see, I'm still dealing with the judgment of the individual, that's why this Passover story and the cross are so close that the lamb had to be personally appropriated by each and every home. It was left to them. God told them, this is what's going to happen. He didn't force them. It wasn't a law that they had to obey. He said, this is going to happen. I love you. I will deliver you. I will take you out and free you. But you are going to have to appropriate that yourself. Just like the Egyptians, they were told, listen, there is a way out for you. Some of you can join us if you want to. If you don't, you die. And that's why the Bible says we have to make a decision to appropriate Jesus in our lives, the Lamb of God. God wants you to love him and to know him. He's judged the false gods of this world. He is the only true God. And he has made a way for me to return to him and live with him eternally. In a life that is beyond anything we can think of actually now and in the future, Jesus said that I'll give them life and give it abundantly. So the Exodus story says this, that um, interesting language in verses 3 to 5, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, Let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's needs. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. The language is so incredible. I'm not sure whether you saw it, but I'll tell you what it is. And it's it is really amazing. And it's this first of all, God says, You shall take a lamb. It says that you shall take a lamb. Go get yourself a lamb for you and your whole household. And then he says, The lamb. The next part where he mentions the lamb, he puts the word the in front of it, not a But the Lamb. This is a very special Lamb. It has to be unique. It's one of a kind. It's not any Lamb. It has to be absolutely perfect. It is the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of the world that takes away the sin of the world. You won't find salvation in any other because He actually is perfect. He's the lamb, he has no equal. Marvelous, absolutely marvelous. But the final part of the story is your lamb, your lamb. Meaning you've got to take possession of it for yourself. You've got to own it, you've got to take it, it's yours. That's the message of the cross. And people are like that, you know. We tell them, you know, there is a lamb that died for you. And they might have interest. Really? Yes, there is a lamb that died for you. Actually, he's a very special lamb. He's the lamb that is unique to all people that ever lived. He died for you. But more important still, he needs to become your lamb. You have to possess him. You have to receive him. If you don't receive him, you'll die. And the fascinating thing is that they were left to make their decision. You know, you must make your decision. It's Passover. We need to tell the story again. The Tagib. Let's tell it. A lamb, the lamb. I pray, I pray, dear friends, that he is your lamb, that you've bent the knee, looking at his cross and given your life to him, your lamb. And this is the one that delivers us from the angel of death, from the wrath and the anger of God, from our sins, both what what we have done and what we are, and even from the Pharaoh, the devil himself that has brought our lives into harsh bondage and servitude. I mean, are you not tired of that life? Passover has come. We can be free. And that's why we read in chapter 12, verse 13, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land. Thank God for the blood of Christ. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. When God passes over us in judgment, he will free us and bring us into his banqueting hall to dwell with him forever. This is quite a story. And that brings me to the third part of our devotion today. We've looked at the judgment of false gods, the judgment of the individual. Spent more time on that because it's so important. And thirdly, the judgment of the Lamb. I read to you that remarkable little passage about him, and uh, we find out we found out that he had to be number one perfect. He had to be without blemish. Jesus was perfect by his virgin birth. He had to be perfect. He had to be free from sin so that he could actually carry our sins away and take back his life. Death could not hold him. Why? Because of the power of a perfect, indestructible life. He could lay his life down again. He could take it up again and rise from the dead, having carried our sins away. Why? He is a perfect lamb. How wonderful that is. There is no other name under heaven, my friends, whereby we can be saved. The judgment of the lamb. First of all, perfect. Secondly, inspected. And, you know, on on the 10th day, they had to find him. On the 14th day, they executed him. That was three days in between. 11, 12, 13. And, you know, Jesus' ministry lasted for three years. And in the gospel narratives, you can inspect him. You can read about him, you can look at him. You can see him on the Sea of Galilee. You can see him healing the sick. You can see him preaching to the multitudes. You can see him being attacked by his adversaries. You can see him in all of this absolutely without sin. You can see him calming the storm. You can see him loving his followers You can watch him eating bread and fishes with them. You can gaze upon him in the Gospels as he knelt in prayer in the early morning with his father. You can watch him with Mary and his mother. And his father. You can see him with his interaction with the disciples with all their argumentation, their confusion, their dumbness. They were dumb, hard of learning. He even said it. How much longer must I be with you? Man, don't you understand this yet? In short, my friend, and I speak to myself, you can inspect him. nothing has filled my life with greater joy than the gospel stories it's so fascinated my life that i wrote a book an exposition of the whole book of mark just because i wanted to look i did it for myself really it's true it's true because when i studied theology one of my lecturers said if you really want to have an impact on your life i challenge you all all these divinity students at some point in your life, do a complete exposition of one of the Gospels so that your own life as a preacher can be filled with who and what Jesus is like. Yes, I've inspected him. They had to watch him. They watched the Lamb for three days to see that he was what he should be. When last did you read the gospel stories? And inspect him. Judgment of the Lamb. And of course, he was executed. Jesus' death on the cross. The magnitude of his sufferings, listen to me carefully, the magnitude of his suffering, are an external picture of what you deserve and what I deserve. If we don't make him our lamb, that's what we will get in eternity. Jesus' death was entirely substitutionary in my place meaning what he endured I deserve and if I reject him that's what I will get how great is the love of God how wonderful is the passover story how beautiful is the life of Jesus How incredible that he hung on a cross spilling his blood at three points arms head pouring with blood the form of a cross a lintel and doorposts that we could come out of Egypt out of bondage and feed upon him And find that he is, as he himself said, food indeed. He is the bread of life that came down from heaven to save us. May God richly bless you and may you have a wonderful celebration of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Amen.
0: Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Malcolm. <clears throat> this was an uh, excellent um, teaching and a very good reminder, once again, what is the essence of our faith. And um, no, it's this is the time to reflect on the cross and on Passover like never before. And uh, just a couple of things that have really come to my mind once again, you know, this is a time to really reflect and to look inside of us and to see, is there any sin in our lives like that unleavened bread and the leaven that we need to take out and we need to take this serious. You know, we have, this is a couple of days before Pesach. So we're still in the preparation time. Mm -hmm. I think this is a wake up call for us. You know, we need to take that inventory as we say in our lives and be serious. And um, also really, you know, it's once again, we need to realize, you know, it. Jesus did everything that he could do on that cross for us, but we need to take hold of that in faith. And um, those we should take more serious also, I think, um, than ever before. And another great thing that I think you have said, and I just want to remind some of our um, people out there, if you have questions, just put it on chat for us, we can, we have some time to go through them. But I really think the point that you also made, um, once again, with the 10th plague, you know, mm-hmm. this was not just, um, you know, um, for it to save Israel, but really it is true. The Bible does say everyone that took that um, serious and put that blood on their doorpost was saved. And just once again, that's the theme of the Bible that we have been teaching about around the world, is that is the blessing that God promised to Abraham you know that he's going to send his son he's going to send the savior to save us and that is the story of Israel and once again in the Passover story we see this parallel again as you say you know Israel and the nations came out and that's what Jesus did it is just not wasn't just for the Jewish people that he came but he came for the whole world and and this is serious you know um Maybe you want to say something a little bit more about some of the parallels between um, Passover and Pesach. You know, um, Jesus came and he destroyed basically death. He, um, he had died and he rose again. And that Passover lamb down in Pesach, you know, it really it stopped the destroyer or it stopped the angel of death. He couldn't touch them. But you had to apply the blood. And it seems like the blood is the mark. There's something you more want to say maybe about the blood of Jesus and the lamb.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's important to notice uh, that um, the Bible says that Jesus died once for all for sins. And, and that means that his death on the cross for us uh, is, in fact, all sufficient. And I think Christians need to know that there's such power in what Jesus did on the cross for us. There's power in the blood, that wonderful hem, uh, because it actually releases us from everything that God had against us. And that's what justification means. Justification means that God releases us from all the legal obligations that he had against us. And, uh, and they, they taken away. And we are totally freed from the consequences of our sins. And Christians need to know that because some Christians still condemn themselves and and, and bring up the past in their lives and they they get, as it were, retarded. They held back because their minds are not being renewed to understand the Bible. But everything they did uh, has been taken away. They freed from it. God has delivered them. It can no longer touch their lives. He's made them new people. But more than that, The power that was unleashed in the death of Christ was so incredible for each and every one of us that that as far as the Bible is concerned, we are already in heaven. Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, past tense. In other words, there's no reason why any Christian should struggle to serve Christ because there's such A release of God's power. This feeding upon Jesus is so all powerful once he comes into your life that there's nothing in your life that can hold you back from being the Christian that God wants you to be. And uh, that's why we are to see ourselves already seated in heaven as perfect. That's the power that the blood has. And we are to work it out with our minds every day, to understand that. And that's why it's so important uh, to recognize that Peter said that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. And that's why I often say to Christians, you know, who, who are sort of struggling with sin, I say sometimes, you know, it's not that you cannot. The real problem is that you will not. Because either the Bible is true or it's not true. The Bible says in Ephesians that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And I ask people sometimes, what does the word every mean? Well, the answer is every. (laughs) In other words, there's nothing more that God can give us. You can't say, Lord, give me more of yourself. No Christian can pray that. Actually, the real prayer is, Lord, I surrender more of myself to you. You want more of me because you've given me everything of yourself in Christ. And that's the Passover message. They came out of Egypt free. And when they came out of Egypt on that Passover night, eventually they couldn't go back because they crossed through the Red Sea. Once they were through, the waves of the sea came back. There was no way to return. And that's the message of Passover and the cross, David. That once you are saved, you cannot go back to your old sins. Because your deliverance is complete. Now you have to work it out in time. You have to pick up your cross every day. The implications of the cross. And you have to work it out. But God is with you. And God will do a wonderful work because he that hath begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Pastor and the cross. Marvelous story.
0: Amen. Um, Malcolm, that is so on, on the spot. And thank you for that encouragement. And that's true. We need to take hold of that. There are no going back. Yes, uh, no you, you've crossed that. And it's yeah, true. Christians think they can walk away but you are in much more trouble if you walk away one day because there are no way back. Yeah, that's you know, right. You are marked by God and you need to take hold of that. Yeah. Uh, we have actually a, one or two questions here uh, which can maybe try to answer. What, one person, um, S.B. Paul, is asking us, um, is there a fast to be executed for Passover? You know, many times Jewish people have a fast. Um, when you want to answer him on that.
1: Yeah, well, on this celebration, no. Uh, in fact, there's a big meal, <laughs> and uh, it's it's a seder meal with uh, with with unleavened bread, with herbs, with horseradish. These are all symbols of the bondage in Egypt, the choraseth of, of the bricks and the mortar, the bitter herbs, of the bitterness of sin, all to remind you. So there's and they eat them, and there's a there's a roast. There's normally a roast, and. Uh, and uh, in the original Passover, they had to eat the lamb. It was a roasted lamb, and so this is one celebration that has built into it great significance that God wants to teach you that uh, that um, that it that to live a life of a sinner without Christ will, in the end, bring you to bitterness. Yeah. And and. Uh, and it will be a life of servitude because you'll be dominated also by Pharaoh. <clears throat> and you won't escape it. It'll wear you down. So in this in this celebration, you eat.
0: Yeah, it's also a wonderful picture that one day we are waiting for that wedding that's going to happen in that celebration. And Jesus yeah, yeah. mentioned that. So this is not a time for fasting. We have other no. days to do that at Yom Kippur. But this yeah. is a celebration. Is much um, amen, amen. Um, another person here is asking a little bit, you know, um, you know, people are always um, using um, the blood and they say they plead the blood over this and over that, almost like it's a magic formula for yeah. protecting you. It's kind of a misunderstanding of the power of the blood of Christian life. Maybe, you know, should we just say that all the time? We put the blood no, over, over this?
1: That you should not. That is That is a form, in a way... Uh, people don't think it through. It's, it, people, some people I've heard say, you know, I get up every morning and the first thing I do is plead the blood. Well, it gives you the feeling that they believe overnight when they slept, the blood of Jesus spilt on the cross for them lost its power. The mm-hmm. Bible says he died once for all. And so you, you live in a relationship with him provided by the once for all spilling of his blood. What you should be doing every day is drawing closer to God in prayer and devotion and appropriating the things that the blood of Christ once spilt for you did but to 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 plead the blood all the time is like using it as a charm, and people don't think about it sounds great, I know what they mean, but and some of them are quite innocent i mean they what they, they don't really mean it they mean they're just reasserting the truth, but still for many. I've heard them say, well, you know, I didn't plead the blood this morning. I drove my car out the gate and I had an accident. I forgot to do it. It's like suddenly overnight, God is no longer with you and the blood doesn't work anymore and you forgot to do it. Yeah. So that's not good. I would not recommend it.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important that we don't misuse um, the word of God and, and <laughs> God's power as if it is just, you know, another formula that we do this yeah, is yeah, starting, this is reality and we need to Living remember that, the so.
1: what the blood did for you live it yeah. out
0: well an, another question here is um somebody's asking a little bit about the timing then when jesus was cross-sacrificed you know they had to keep the little lamb for for up until the 14th um, day And how does this parallel when Jesus was sacrificed? Was this exactly the same time? Because we know that Jesus was crucified on Passover. So does the times, everything um, parallel together?
1: Well, in a way, when it comes to Christ, the Bible says itself, the Passover was typology. It was a picture of what his life would be. And, um, And that's why, I said to them that he was born of a virgin. He was perfect. And he spent three years, like the three days of typology, presenting his ministry and his life so that people could look at him and so that we even today can inspect him. But on the 14th day, he was executed.
0: And uh, so some of the, sorry, some of the question was then, you know, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, they're dying for sins. Parallel, basically, in the, in the temple, they were slaughtering the lambs, right?
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, so it was
0: exactly the same time.
1: He was fulfilling it. And the book of Hebrews says that even the temple service or the wilderness tabernacle were simply pictures of his once-for-all marvelous work. Yeah. yeah. That's why when he died, the temple veil was torn in two. Not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. In other words, Jesus, first of all, uh, did something for God by his death. He made it possible for God to come into man. That's what he did. He made it possible for God to come into man. Consequently, we are reconciled to him. So the the veil is split from the top to the bottom.
0: And this was exactly the same time when the priests would have been in the temple, slaughtering the lambs. They would have seen, oh, boom, Here, it's oh, Jesus
1: was on the cross at the same yeah, time. Yeah, incredible. yeah, incredible. The way into the very holy presence of God was now open. There's yeah. no longer a veil. There's no longer a, a, a wall of separation, as it were.
0: <clears throat> and that is so wonderful because we can just see that Jesus was fulfilling basically even the exact times mm-hmm. uh, this Passover um, festival yeah, yeah. Uh, once and for all, so that's just wonderful um another person is asking a bit a little bit about um how about the days of unleavened bread, bread How do we conduct go about ourselves during these days? So for Christians, you know we're not in Israel or Jewish people, of course, our country are is, is still making bread. <laughs> how should we as Christians maybe relate to this unleavened bread
1: but you live your life in a way that you don't deliberately sin mm. uh, because Paul says that. Uh, Uh, we need to purge ourselves from the leaven of sin. And it's all typology. So the way, the best way in which you can honor God at Passover time, or as some tradition call it, and I have no problem, Easter, the celebration of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, is to make sure that you you don't uh, entertain deliberate willful sin in your life. Live a life that's unleavened.
0: Yeah, I think that's what we as Christians need to remember many times. It's not like we are just following another ritual, but yeah. it is many times fulfilling those um, rituals in our our lives spiritually.
1: Um, that's right, yeah.
0: Which and is Paul the most important.
1: Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, purge the old leaven from your lives. <clears throat> he said that in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. So we understand it in that light. Mm.
0: Yeah, and we should keep that as the focus. Otherwise, we go off from the, the Jesus, the centre of our lives.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, that's actually excellent. Um, you know, just one last thing, you guys. say is a saying Passover meal equals Communion unleavened bread and grape juice or wine. You know, basically, the Passover meal is the Communion that we celebrate many many times during the year. But this is just the biblical time
1: of yeah, celebrating
0: yeah, yeah. that. So. Yeah.
1: The early church yeah. broke bread every day
0: at one point yeah <laughs> that's true because every day we should celebrate day, the people on of, the
1: cross yeah, yeah it was a fulfillment
0: yeah amen amen well i think this brings us to the end of our webinar we're really four minutes over time here so thank you for the extra time um so once again malcolm just thank you for this wonderful teaching taking time with us this was really wonderful And to all our participants, just remember once again, next week, same time, 4 p.m. on Zoom, we will have another teaching by Dr. Jürgen Bühler, and um, that will be um, about um, the resurrection and Bükkurim. And if you don't know what that is, then just follow us and join us next week at 4 p.m. I just want to see if there's any more questions here. No, everybody, Malcolm, just to say thank you to you for your wonderful message. That really appreciated. So, thank you so much, and we'll see you all next week. And bless you, Malcolm. Bless thank everybody.
1: you, David. Well, bless, bless you. you. Yeah. Bye, Sakhzamiak.
0: Yeah. Amen. shalom. shalom. Bye.
1: invite you to join us for a very special Passion Week program. We will take you to the very last days of Jesus here in Jerusalem. You will be joining us on the Mount of Olives where Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem. We will take you to Gethsemane where Jesus was interceding with the Father. And then we will take you to Herod's palace where Jesus was tried. We will come here close to this area where Jesus died for the sins of the world and then we will finish here at the garden tomb where Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered death forever. It will be an exciting program. You don't want to miss it. I look forward to seeing you.